We started a series Wednesday night on never letting go. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about not letting go until you absolutely cannot let go. Hang on until you cannot let go. Hang on until you just can't let go. It's important that we understand the endurance that we must have in order to win a battle. I am addicted to Jesus Christ. I'm addicted to God's Word. I cannot let go of God's Word. I am addicted to Judy. I can't live without her. I'm addicted to her. And <laughs> I thank the Lord for the fact that I'm addicted to her. The longer we've been married, the more addicted I've become. And the more you go to church and the more you serve God, the more addicted to the things of God you will become. Some folks don't go to church enough to get addicted to going to church. It becomes a part of our life, the Word of God, the things of God. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Verse 8, we're going to read down to verse 12. But the men that shall, uh, let's go on down to verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men of David that David had. The Tachmonite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was Edino, the Esnite. He left, he lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to the spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Egi, a Herite. The Philistine, and, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. I want to use for a subject, hang on, until you just can't let go. You may be seated. We're talking about David's mighty men. We have a list here in um, chapter 23 of his mighty men, and I'm not going to read all their names because quite Honestly, I don't want that much uh, therapy with my tongue, that much, you know, that much exercise. And I don't want to entertain you. I mean, no, listening to a preacher try to pronounce these big names and these weird names can be quite entertaining at my embarrassment. So, fooey on you. We're going to look at three mighty men tonight. And there were in total 37 mighty men of David. 
37 mighty men of David. And the first question that I would simply ask is where did David get these mighty men? Where did he get them? We find in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, where David got his mighty men. David is running from Saul. Saul was a bad king. He was a king that Samuel rejected. God rejected Saul. Uh, Samuel turned and anointed David. And because Samuel anointed King David to be the king of Israel, there was about 20 years in there, 22 years, where David fled and he was not anointed uh, officially as king of Israel, first to Judah and then later to the full tribes of Israel. But during this time, David was being pursued by Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. And so David, at a very low part of his life, he was going out to pretty much mingle among the adversaries of Israel because he was hiding from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. And David did not want to kill Saul. In fact, David went to great lengths not to kill Saul because Saul was God's anointed. At least he was at one time. And so Samuel had rejected Saul and anointed David as king, but he was not yet king for a while. In verse 1 and 2 of Second Samuel, uh, uh, 1 Samuel, rather, chapter 22, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, these are David's mighty men, came to David. Everyone that was in distress. Anybody been there? Everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt. Hello? Anybody ever been there in debt? And everyone that was discontent. You ever been there? Discontent. These group of people were distressed. They were in debt and they were discontent. And they gathered unto David and he became the captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And out of those 400 came the mighty men of David. They came to David distressed. They came to David discontent. They came to David in debt. Their lives were shot. Their lives were horrific. And they came to David because they believed in David. They believed that he was God's choice. And they went to David to be his army. And they were an army of misfits, discontent, in debt, just, just depressed and discouraged. And they came to David. And David took those men, and he loved them. He protected them. He led them. He guided them until they became mighty men. Amen. And I want you to know we need that in church today. We need pastors that will protect their people, feed their people, love their people until they become mighty men or women of God. You may be depressed. You may be discontented. You may be discouraged. You may be in debt. But I want you to know it's nothing that God cannot fix. And he can make you a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. 
And David did that. He made these um, men, 67 of these men listed as mighty, uh, 37 rather, 37 mighty men listed as mighty men of David. Now, so he got them out of, out of a, a pile of discouragement, discontentment, uh, just a, and you focus on this. Saul washed out. The king, king Saul, first king of Israel, he failed. And God withdrew his anointing from Saul. Then God put his anointing on David. I want you to know, America is kind of in the same position. God has lifted his anointing from our great land of USA. And there are millions of people in debt, discontented, discouraged, that they need someone that will rise up that's anointed of God. Now, you'll never rise up to be more than likely the president or uh, a great monarch in the USA, but you can rise up to be someone that people can look up to. You can rise up to be a mighty man or woman of God. And everyone in this room has that opportunity to do that. I want to talk to you about three mighty men, Adino, the Esnite. Now, some Bible commentators call him the Ishbel. We're going to call him Adino. What a name. The Esnite. Then there's the mighty man called Eliezer, the son of Dodo. Now, you can be a son of a Dodo and still be a mighty man. The Ahoite. Amen? I met lots of folks that were Dodos, but tell me, though, God can take care of a Dodo. Eliezer was an amazing person. In fact, we're going to focus on him because the Bible says that his hand claved to the sword. And then there's Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hezerite. And so you have these three mighty men, Adino, Eliezer, and Shammah. Now, Adino had a spear. He went to battle, and 800 people Adino killed with his spear. Can you see it? 800 people. That's a, that's a lot of people. I mean, they're not people out there, you know, in their leotards. They're fully armed in, in army attire. They got their spears. They've got their, their swords. And Adino takes a spear and says, I'm going to whack me out of you. They may get me, but I'm going to get as many of them as I can get. And so Adino takes his spear and he kills 800 I figure around 600 of them, 603, 604, he was feeling like he couldn't get killed. I'd say after he got there, about 700 people, Philistines he killed, he was thinking, man, I am indestructible. 800 he killed. I don't want to whacked him with the, the end of his sword and then stabbed him in the gizzard. I don't know. I don't know what he did. He maybe whacked him in the head with the spear and then stabbed him in the stomach, stabbed him through the heart. 800 of them rascals. Now, I'd be wore out at, at two or three. Amen? How many would be wore out at two or three? Shoot, I'd be wore out before I even got to the front row. 
of soldiers. But Adino the Esnite took out 800 Philistines with his spear. How many would agree that is an incredible soldier? How many would agree that's a mighty man? 800 he took out. I can't imagine just taking out 800 people with his spear. And I mean, he's just a jabbing and a slapping and a, a whacking, and he's just got, he got 800 of them down. The, I believe the Philistines were starting to hear Mama calling. I don't know how many of them ran away, but all I know is if I'd have looked at a Dino in the middle of a bunch of 800 dead Philistines laying on the ground, and I was among the Philistines, I'd find me a place to run. Amen? When one guy starts taking out 800 Philistines, in fact, I'd been, I'd been leaving at 100 men. In fact, I'd left at 10. I'd have got out and said, let's go, guys. He's crazy. I mean, no, some of us need to be crazy for Jesus Christ. We need to be anointed for Jesus Christ. We need to not give up and serve the Lord and honor God and magnify God. So Adino was a mighty man of God, a mighty man of David. Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite. Oh, man, I'm sure he loved his mama and loved his daddy. But anyway, that may have been why he was such a good fighter. They probably called him Dodo all his life, son of Dodo. Now, that was probably an honorable name back then. I don't know. But all I know is the Bible says that he was in battle, verse 9, and he was busy, and one of the, he was one of the three mighty men in verse 9 when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. In other words, everybody withdrew. Everybody was gone. Everybody, all the Israelites were gone. The Philistines were still there, and now Eliezer's standing in the battlefield all by himself, and he just says, bless God, I'm going to take them out. And the Bible says he took his sword in the battle, and he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand claved to the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned. Yeah, Israelis returned then after their spoil, after he took care of all the problem. But I want you to, I want you to see something here. Eliezer took that sword and he, he fought the Philistines with that sword. His hand is bloody. His hand is stuck to the sword. The Bible says that his hand claved to the sword. That word clave means to be laminated, glued to. In other words, when you pull something away that's laminated, you rip the fabric off of that which it's stuck to. And after the battle, they go out to Eliezer, and he's standing there holding his sword, and he can't let go of it. And some of, the, some of his soldiers tried to pry his fingers off, but he couldn't. He was just holding on to it tight. Eliezer fought so hard, he, he, he hung on until he just couldn't let go. He hang on, he held on to his sword until he just couldn't let go. I want you to understand something that's very important. 
The Word of God needs to become the very fabric, the very biological part of our brain. My mind cleaves to the Word of God. My heart cleaves to the Word of God. My faith cleaves to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My love holds tight to the love of God, my, my Jesus, my Lord. You can't tear the Word of God out of my mind. You can't rip the love of Jesus out of my heart. And the Bible says that Eliezer, he became part of that sword, and he claved to it. And I want you to know something. We as God's people need to start cleaving to the Word of God to the point that if it's removed from us, it rips the fabric of our life out. The Word of God is in my heart. It cannot be ripped away. My trust in Jesus Christ is embedded in my heart and my mind, and it cannot be ripped away. I'm cleaving to the Word of God, cleaving to the things of God, cleaving to the power of God, holding on to the promises of God, holding on to the goodness of God, never letting go, never letting go, never letting go of eternal life, never letting go of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, standing alone in the battlefield of life. I will not turn back. I'll cleave to the Bible. I'll cleave to the Word of God. I'll cleave to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'll hold him fist tight, and I'll hold him mind tight, and I'll hold him heart tight to where you could not take Jesus away from me without tearing the very fabric of my soul loose. Never letting go until you just can't let go. Hang on until you just can't let go. I mean, we'd agree that that's a mighty man. And we can hang on to the things of God and never let go. We live in a day that some people need to learn their priorities, and that is you need to learn that there's some things worth never letting go. And that is our eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's some things that we never let go because we are glued to the things of God. We're laminated to the things of God. We're joined, we're stuck in the presence of God. And Eliezer took that sword and he fought and he, and he, and he killed Philistines by the hundreds and he began to fight and he fought to the place where when the battle was over, they had to pry the sword out of his hand. Why? Because he couldn't let go of the sword. I want you to know, I can't let go of the Word of God. I can't let go of Jesus Christ. I can't let go of my faith in Christ. I can't let go of the promise of the coming King, Jesus Christ. I can't let go of the battle that's before me. I can't give up. I can't let go. I can't run away. I cleave to the sword, the Word of God, the promises of God, because I cannot let go. I've held on to it long enough. I just can't let it go ever again. Just can't. When you hold on to something long enough, you just can't let it go. It becomes the very fabric of you. And, I, and those of you who understand what I mean when you are attached to something so strong and in love with something so strong, 
And that which you are in love with so strong is taken away. You just can't let go because it's part of you. Are you listening to me? It's part of you. One day, I was preaching at a funeral at uh, near Cape Fair. And it was the funeral of a little baby, Crossroads Church. I was asked to come and attend the funeral. The baby was about a year old or so, just a, a small baby. Little casket, now we'll forget the day. But the little baby was laying there in the casket, and I was sharing, trying to comfort, and trying to tell him that God loves babies, and God cares, and he loves mama. When it came time to quit the service, and time to close the casket, the mama screamed and ran up the aisle to where the baby was. She reached inside of the casket and picked that baby up in her arms. And she says, you can't leave me. I can't let go. You, I can't let go. My heart is here. I can't let go. And the mortician, the undertaker, began to take her away, finally getting the baby in the casket and began to take her away. And she screamed as they began to take her away. My heart is there. My heart is in that box. I can't let go. Why? Because she cleaved to that baby. I want you to know we need to cleave to the promises of God. We need to be at the place where we can't let go. No matter the pain, no matter the sorrow, no matter the heartbreak, we need to not let go. Eliezer, his hand clave to the sword. That day, he fought the battle. In verse 10, his hand claved to the sword. And I want you to know, it's, the Bible says that in that day, God wrought a great, a great victory. And I want you to know, if we'll cleave to God's word to where we can't let go, God will bring about a great victory. If we'll cleave to the faith of God and cleave to Jesus Christ to where it can't be ripped from us, to the place where it's the very fabric of our heart, if we'll hold on to where we can't let go, we won't let go, there's no way we can let go. We hold on because we know Jesus Christ is coming soon. As a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, we refuse to let go. Hang on until you no longer can let go. I want you to know, we need to get this ingrained in us. Living for God, ingrained in us in prayer, ingrained in us in the love of God to where we reach the place where we are addicted to the things of God and we cannot let go of the future promise of the soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We cannot let go. We cannot let go. Eliezer held to the sword. And I want you to know that the Word of God is so ingrained in my mind. You can't rip it from my mind. The promises of God are so ingrained in my heart. You can't rip it from my heart. You can't rip. Christ and the power of Christ for my life. You can't take it away. 
The world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it away. I can't let it go. I will not let go of the Bible. I will not let go of the blessings of God. I will not let go of the soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords. I will not let go in this hour of tribulation, in this hour of war and rumors of war. And the world is hostile to Israel and hostile to Christianity. We will not let go. We'll hold on until Jesus comes and takes us home. Amen. I love it, don't you? There's another guy named Shammah. Now, Shammah, he's out in a field, and the Bible says that it was a field of lentils. A field of lentils. And Shammah pretty much had this attitude. Now, the Philistines would wait till it was ripe, wait till the grain was ripe, then the Philistines would come down out of the mountains and they would pursue the harvest field and they'd take the grain. They'd take the lentils, the food that was there for Israel. And they'd take it away from them. They would wait till it was ripe, the harvest, and then they would come down. And when they'd come down into the harvest field, they would take the grain. They'd plunder the crops. And Shammah went out in the middle of that field and Shammah said, I've left this lentil patch for the last time. I've left this to the Philistines for the last time. Now, some call it the bean patch, the pea patch. Hello. Now, my wife, she has this thing about peas. When we have peas at the house, and Josh watches her, and she'll get a She'll get a slice of bread, my wife will, and she'll dip out peas out of, a, out of the pot, and she'll pour it over the bread. The bread will get soggy. And me and Josh says, you're having pea bread today, aren't you? Well, Shama, trust me, I've eaten lentils, and it's not worth dying for. Trust me. I've eaten, I'm not eating pea bread, that's disgusting, but trust me, I'm not that thrilled about peas. It's not worth dying for. But now a good pot of white soup beans and cornbread, that's worth fighting over. So I'm gonna call it a bean patch. I don't know what it was, lentils, peas, bean patch, but it was a grain place. Place that the Bible says lentils. Shammah says, I'm not going to go away. Shammah says, I've left this patch for the last time. And in the midst, he stood his ground, verse 12, and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the, and the Lord wrought a great victory. I want you to know it's high time as we as children of God stand for what is ours. We need to stand and fight for what that is worth fighting for. There's some things I wouldn't fight for. There's some things I definitely wouldn't die for. But there are some things I'd fight for, and there are some things I'd die for. And I want you to know, I'd fight for this Word of God, and I'd die for this Word of God. I'd fight for my love for Jesus Christ, and I'd die for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'd fight for the soon-coming return of Jesus Christ, and I'd die for Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ. 
in this field, we're going to stand our ground and we're not going to let the enemy swarm down into our fields. We're going to fight and stand and say, no, sir, you're not going to come and take that which is mine. I'm going to stand the ground and believe God for a great victory. And Shammah did just that. Amen. That's good stuff. I'm going to wrap it up with this water from Bethlehem's well. And I'm not going to do a lot of reading, but I want you to, I want you to notice verse 16 and verse 17. Before let's do that, Benaniah, this is one of God's mighty men in verse 20. I guess he got bored and on a snowy day he went down and killed a lion in a pit. I mean, you know, snowy days make you bored but never bored enough to go fight a lion in a pit. I guess Benaiah woke up one morning and said, it's snowy, I'm bored. Let's go find a lion and kill it in a pit. First of all, on a snowy day, I don't want to be in a pit if there's only a mouse there. I don't want to be in a pit if there's nothing there. But, but Benaiah in verse 20 says, he went down and found a lion that was stuck in a pit, or at least it was hiding in a pit. And Benaiah just, I don't know what he put his knife in his mouth or <laughs> what he did, but he just said, okay, praise God, I'm going to have some fun on this snowy day. And Benai just jumps into the pit, kills that lion. Now, I'm telling you, that's a mighty man. So when you get bored, just go out and do something for God. Amen. Amen. Verse 16 and 17. Same chapter, the three mighty men break through the host. David had said, I long for a drink out of Bethlehem, the Bethlehem well. David said, I long for a drink out of Bethlehem well. Now, you have to understand, David was not raised in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was not raised in Bethlehem. You remember when he was born, Herod was going to come after him. He went into Egypt, and he came back, and he didn't come back to Bethlehem. He, 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 he was raised in Nazareth in that area. But he did go to Bethlehem from time to time, and it was probably the coolest, freshest, most awesome water in the land, a well in Bethlehem. And he'd go down there as a young man, he'd drink water out of the well of Bethlehem. And David said, oh, I wish I could go. He just kind of muttered a little bit around his mighty men, and he said, I'd like to have a drink out of the well. But the Philistines had a garrison around it. The Philistines had it under siege. And so David says, I'd like to have a good, cool drink out of the Bethlehem well. And the mighty men of David thought, cool, let's go get him. Let's go get him a cup of water. Amen? And that's a lot of fun. We're going to have some fun. We're going to go down and hit a few Philistines in the head, wipe out a few of them, go down to the well. Two of us will fight the Philistines while the other one draws the water out. We get a cup of water. We're going to bring it back to David. We're going to bring David some water. And so they go down. I mean, no, that's adventurous. That's being really adventurous. And so they went down to Bethlehem and the Philistines garrison, and they got water and brought it to David. David took that water. Look at verse 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was in the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but he poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. Now, 
at first you think, how rude. At first you think, David takes the water. They, they go and fight and they bring him a drink of water out of the Bethlehem. He was wishing he had one. He desired to have it. His three mighty men goes down and gets a well out of the Bethlehem, water out of the Bethlehem well, brings it to David. And David just looks at him and says, thanks, boys. Now, that's rude. But you need to understand that the three mighty men were thrilled at what he did. I'd have been angry about it, but they were thrilled at what he did. Because what he done was, he said, I can't drink of this water because this is holy water. I can't drink of this water because there's only one that's worthy of this water. And that's my God. And so rather than him drinking the water, he pours it out as the drink offering unto his God. And the three mighty men looked and said, ooh, wow. Look what we did for God. Look what we did in honor to God. Instead of getting mad about it, they were thrilled about it. Because everything they did was a in honor to God. David says, you brought it to me for me, but I'm going to give it to God because what you did is a, it's a thing of worship. What you did is a thing of power. What you did is a thing of integrity. And David pours it out on the ground as a drink offering to his God. And he's saying to those three mighty men, you did well. You please God. I can't drink it. I'm going to give it to God. It's the highest offering I can hand to God. What you boys did was incredible. Thank you for it. But I've got to give it back to God because you guys did it in the name of the Lord. That's beautiful. I want to tell you about another mighty man. We're going to close. There's another mighty man. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the mighty man. He's the son of David. And Jesus Christ, my mighty man and your mighty man, went down into the pit of death and broke it and resurrected from the death pit. Jesus Christ went to the cross and broke our bondages and pieces through his death, through his blood. He shattered our sins and iniquity. He washed us clean. That mighty man walked through Jerusalem, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, opening blinded eyes, and more than that, telling the world that God is a good God, that God is a sovereign God, and that God wants you to go to heaven. Our mighty man is Jesus Christ. So mighty that he died on the cross for our sins. So mighty that he went to the tomb and broke death held in the grave and rose again from the grave. That's our mighty man. Our mighty man brought to us bread that we could eat of and never hunger again. Our mighty man brought us water that we'd drink of and never thirst again. Everlasting life, that water bubbling up out of our heart. Our mighty man brought to us not, he did not take us to the well of Bethlehem. Jesus Christ brought the well of Bethlehem and the bread of heaven to our heart and the well of Bethlehem resides inside of me because Jesus brought the house of bread, the water of God, and he brought the well and put it inside us. That's our mighty man. 
Jesus said to the woman at Jacob's well, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I shall give you, what God shall give, you'll never thirst again. But there'll be a well in you springing up into everlasting life. That's our mighty man. Not only is he a mighty man, he's such a mighty man that God lived inside of him. I made a statement this week that my Savior, my Savior is God and, and God is wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus who died and rose again from the grave. God is wrapped up in Jesus who died, the Son of God, and rose again from the grave. And rose again victorious. My God is a Jew. He's a Jew in the earthly sense. We owe so much to Israel. If it wasn't for Israel, we wouldn't have a Bible. If it wasn't for Israel, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have what we have today. If it wasn't for Israel, the church wouldn't exist. If it wasn't for Israel, Jesus would not have come because he came through Israel. Isn't that beautiful? Our mighty man. It's a mighty God. And so I want to cleave to him. Amen. I want to cleave to him. I can't give up. I just cannot give up. You ever heard the song, I've gone too far now to go back? There's a song talking about I've gone too far to go back now. You hear people talk about, you know, I've lived for God these years and it's too, I could never return. But I want you to know Jesus Christ is the person of no return. Once you come to him, there's no return back to the world. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no more return back to Egypt. Once you allow Jesus Christ to embed himself in you, you get so addicted to him, so engrossed with his word, so, so cleaving to him, that nothing, not death, hell, or the grave, not principalities or powers, not adversities, not demons in hell, not all the, uh, the wickedness of this world can ever rip Jesus Christ from your life because you cleave to Jesus Christ and there's no way, no possible way that you're gonna be destroyed because you've held on long enough that you cannot let go. And if you can let go, you haven't held on long enough. If you can let go of your faith in Christ, if you can let go of the promise of the coming Jesus, if you can let go of your love for Christ, then you haven't held on long enough. You need to just hold, hang on. Amen? Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. Somebody just called me and told me it was too long. The message was going too long. I think they texted Martha and said he's gone too long. I think uh, whoever texted her said uh, he needs to let go. <laughs> I'm just teasing Martha. She knows it. Hey, if it wasn't her, it'd be somebody else. Amen. We're talking about never letting go. We can't let go. This is the wrong time in this history of the world to let go. 
this is bad. I mean, what we're seeing in the Middle East right now is bad. And someone would ask the question, well, hasn't it been bad before? Yes. Hasn't Israel went into captivity before? Yes. But never, according to the last verse of the book of Amos, once they return to their homeland, they will never be taken from it again. We live in that day. We live in the last day that all has transpired and we're getting ready to go home. I can't let go. I can't let go. Why? Because God won't let go. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you get bored this winter when the snow comes, find you a pit and a line. Just jump in there and take it on. Amen. Mighty men are not afraid to fight. Mighty men are not afraid to stand for what is right. Mighty men are not afraid to stand up for God. Mighty men are not afraid in this troubled world. They're not afraid. Mighty men of the Son of David. Mighty men of the Son of David. Mighty women of the Son of David. That's what I want. I want our church to be full of mighty men of the Son of David. Mighty women of the Son of David to the point that we cannot let go. Amen. Joshua and saying.